Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to another wonderful Sunday here at FCC. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Could you please stand up and worship along with us? Nothing we can do Yes, we know 
there are greater things in store we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome same power that rose jesus from the grave the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us lives in us the same power that moves mountains when he speaks the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us lives in us he lives in John 4 says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning. We thank you that we have this time to celebrate Mother's Day, and we're so, so, so thankful for the sacrifices they've made on our behalf and bringing us into this world. And Father, I pray that this morning that, we can, that we'll lift up Jesus, that we know that power that raised him is the same power that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. It's, uh, we're glad that you're here to worship with us today, and uh, we're, we want to uh, thank all of our mothers, and um, it's been a weird one for me because it's my first one that my mom's passed away, so I know a lot of you have experienced that before. But this morning, we're here to lift up Jesus together, amen? amen. And that's what we're going to do today together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning. If you're watching online, you have an opportunity to do that online, and for those of you who are here, you can do it online also if you'd like. nice thing about online is we can read it. <laughs> but anyway, at this time, we're going to turn things back to the praise team. We're glad to have everyone here this morning.
her at the city gates. Proverbs 31, 31.
it's only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word who you are who you are who you are who I am who I am who I am Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Search the world, it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along and put me back together. Every desire is now s 
You're the 
Last week, uh, first of all, Happy Mother's Day, and uh, somebody asked me, what are you doing for your wife today? I'm like, she's not my mom. <laughs> but, you know, I'm taking care of her, I always do. Oh my, what happened? Here we go. Well, last week we started our new series on the Church of Ephesus, and today we're actually going to get into the book of Ephesians. But when you look at the rest of the book of Acts and you look at Paul's other letters, we talked about last week there were several years in between what happened in Acts 19 and the writing of the, of, of the letter to the Ephesian church. After his departure from Ephesus, all the remaining believers organized the church. They continued to gather regularly. They worshiped. They spread the good news of Jesus Christ. They were making a large impact on their community. And Paul, when he is in prison, this is one of the letters that's called the prison epistles because he was in prison when he was writing it. The church at this time, though, was thriving. They were reaching people of all ethnicities both Jews and Greeks. But the question is, how did they grow? How was the church in Ephesus so successful, which is really the most important part of the issue, more so than the growth, in carrying out their mission? And this question goes, it's something for us to consider because how can we be a church who reaches people in our community, reaches people within the church, and has an impact on our community? There are all kinds of theories on church growth and what you can do. As a matter of fact, on Facebook, I'm seeing them all the time. I saw one the other day, or actually yesterday, called the, the church playbook. And they're saying you can go from zero to 200 really fast, and, and all you got to do is send them $9.95 for this free book for shipping. But then they said when you pay the $9.95, guess what? You also get the digital version. And then they hook you up where you're paying for monthly forever for their secrets. And I thought, well, why don't you just put the digital version up and let me look at it and see what I think? But they, obviously, you've got to pay your 10 bucks first. But honestly, honestly, I am more interested in church impact than growth. I mean, if our goal is simply numeric, numerical growth and that's it, we're missing the boat. Because if we said, let's say our goal for the end of 2024 is to have 500 people in all of our worship services. Okay, first of all, why? Why that number? And number two, why are we even trying to do it? And the answer to that's very important because I focus, if we just focus strictly on numerical growth, we can get that. Um, we can just say free beer Sunday and we pack the place probably. 
you know, or free lottery tickets. I mean, we can do all kinds of gimmicks to fill the building. But if our focus is just numeric growth, we're really missing what's important because you can have a big church that has no impact whatsoever on anything. We call those country clubs, okay? And that's not what we want to be as a church. But more importantly, you know, I'm, I'm up here talking about church growth, and some of you are going to tune me out because well, I don't care about church growth. This goes much deeper than that. This actually goes to your growth, your growth as a Christian, because if I'm not growing and you're not growing, we're not going to impact anyone. People aren't going to take us seriously. Uh, we see this a lot with, you know, we, we see the numbers of how many kids leave church when they go to college, and we want to blame the church for it, and we want to blame, it's Jerry's fault, you know, he's the youth guy, and, um, you know, we want to blame uh, the schools, we want to blame society and everything, but really, the fault of, not always, because you can be the perfect Christian parent, and your kids can be horrible, because they have that free will, unfortunately, don't you wish you could take that from them while they were younger, and then just kind of, but anyway, it doesn't work that way, my, my family would have been a lot happier if they could have done that to me, but the, pro the thing is, is what, what, when we look at this, is if my children saw me proclaiming Jesus, but as I said before, mistreating their mother, how seriously are they going to take my faith? Or if they see that I'm in business and I'm cheating people, how seriously are they going to take my faith? So what we're really looking for to have an impact on our families, on our friends, on our community we have to let Jesus do something in our life. A numerically growing church, as I said, is not necessarily an impactful church. There are plenty of big churches that they're impressive, lots of programs, lots of stuff going on, but what impact are they making on the world? There's a lot of small churches the same way. If a church is making impact on the lives of people, in the lives of people, in turn, that will have an impact on communities and then as a result, the church will grow because people want to be a part of it. In the church of Ephesus, we notice when Paul started his teaching, man, what happened? It got so impactful in the community that people were fearing that the temple of Diana was going to shut down and people are going to see it, the, see it for the farce it was. I mean, that doesn't just happen by accident. That happens by changed lives that are impacting their community. I mean, I'm not being try, trying to be negative here, but what impact are all the churches in our community making in Sierra Vista? What's different in Sierra Vista because we're here? That's, I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. How were so many lives changed in Ephesus that these new believers shook the world that they were living in? And believe me, they did. Well, there's actually a fairly simple answer to that. It starts with the message. It starts with the message proclaimed. Because if you want to change your life and you want to change the lives of those around you, it has to start and end with Jesus. That's where it has to be. There are all kinds of slick marketing campaigns, and believe me, I am not against marketing at all. I think you're a fool not to do it as a church. I think there's all kinds of building projects. You know, the stats will show if you build a new building, people will come, but then you've got to be able to give them something to keep them. The proper use of technology can have a real impact. But unless it begins and ends with Jesus, none of that means anything. Because if we are just numerically focused, you're just a number. The way I've always looked at it is the numbers on the board are souls. They're souls. 
because that's what they represent. But numbers for numbers, it's really funny. I think I said this last week when a church is dying, what do they all of a sudden decide? We better start reaching people. Well, my question is, why did they get you to the point of death to make that decision? And now that you're making that decision, why are you making that decision? Are you making it just so you can pay the bills and keep the doors open? Or are you doing it because you know your community needs Jesus? And see, if you know your community needs Jesus, you'll never get in that position because you're always looking for ways to impact the community and impact people. Romans tells us this in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so even Paul says, listen, the power of God for salvation is found in the message, in the gospel. It's not found in marketing. It's not found in technology. It's not found in somebody else. It's not found in somebody else making up a religion. It is strictly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to bring salvation to somebody, you bring them Jesus. You don't bring them anything else. See, what's frustrating is we have a compelling message to share. So why aren't we sharing it? Why aren't we living it? I told you before when I went to the Missouri Christian Convention, people were saying, well, you know, to have a large church, you've got to sell out the gospel. That's insulting. Because why do I have to compromise one word of scripture to make an impact on people's lives, which in turn will grow a church, which in turn will have an impact in the community? You don't. That's the answer. That's just a cop-out for churches that aren't trying. They're just saying, well, I'm jealous of them, and they must be doing something wrong because here we can't grow, but they are. There's something more to it than that, folks. But we have a compelling message. Why aren't we enthusiastic about learning it and sharing it? And I don't mean to be, sound like I'm beating on people, but it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are you thrilled with being saved by Jesus Christ? If you are, then why aren't we thrilled about learning about Jesus and sharing Jesus with other people? Because somebody shared it with you. Today we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. And if we go through this passage we're going to see why Jesus has to be the center. There's a reason for it. Well, there's a bunch of them, but we're going to see four reasons for it. And in this passage, you're going to see the phrase four different times, in him and in Christ. And this is what we're going to focus in on this morning. So we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says this, From Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So the first thing we see and the first thing that should get our blood going is this. In him, our blessings flow. In him, our blessings flow. Now you'll notice when you look at the passage, Paul doesn't say, our spiritual blessings, that every spiritual blessing flows from anything else. From my goodness, from me being able to earn something, for somebody else making up a gospel, it comes from Jesus, period. God has chosen Jesus as the mechanism from which blessings flow. Let me ask you a question. Would you like your life to be blessed? And I'm not talking about the caviar Cadillac mansion stuff. Would you, do you want to feel God's blessings in your life? Do you want to enjoy those blessings? Do you have people in your circle of influence that you look at them and say, man, I love them and their life is a train wreck. They're lost. They're, it's a mess. They're racked with guilt. Do you want to see that change? If you do, you should be excited that it can. It's by simply putting Jesus 
in the center of our lives, in our message. My message, if Jesus is at the center, means nothing if my life's not in the center. Just like my kids. My kids, they grew up with me. They know me. My wife, she's lived with me for almost 38 years. She knows me. And so, if the life doesn't match the message, it doesn't matter. As Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, he begins with a list of reasons to praise God. And sometimes in life, it's really easy to lose sight of why we should praise God, particularly when the storms hit. When difficult times come, it's like, why should I praise him? Because he didn't do this, this, and this, and this for me. I understand that. It's difficult. That's the most difficult time, I think. And the other time that's most difficult is when you're really prospering. Because sometimes you just take it for granted. And then what ends up happening is we start living life for our own glory. And then guess what happens when you do that? Your life starts getting empty and void at some point and void of meaning. Then you start doing the Solomon thing like, vanity of vanities, all's vanity. I'm like, shut up, Solomon. Quit whining. God has been so good to you and you're whining? Seriously? If you'd have paid attention, you wouldn't have been in trouble. But anyway, one thing should, that it should excite us is if you want blessings in your life, every spiritual blessing, and you want that in the lives of people that you love, what should excite us is we can bring it to them. We've got the goods. It's called the gospel. It's called Jesus, because that's where it comes from. Is your marriage not doing well? Do you want it to do well on both sides? It can't just be one of you. Put Jesus in the center of it. It's hard to yell and scream and cuss at each other when Jesus is in between the two of you, because you're cussing at Jesus. You're calling Jesus names. If you want to be a good parent, put Jesus in the middle of your parenting. Do you want to be successfully financially? Put Jesus in the middle of your finances. Do you want to be successful in your life and blessed in your life? Put Jesus in the center of your life. Jesus has to be the center. Now, the word blessed here comes from a word that really literally means to speak well of. And when we're blessed by God, what it literally means is that God has done something for us to benefit us, to help us to prosper, and to give us contentment. You know, we talk about the peace that surpasses all understanding, and we read these great phrases. But those are ours to take. They're given to us by God through Jesus Christ. We have people in life that we love that we want, them to, we want to see them blessed. They need to get those blessings through Christ. God loves you. He loves you. I don't care what anybody says about you. And he wants you to be blessed. He wants you to enjoy that, those blessings. And what we find here is we find a couple things in this, this section of the passage. First, our spiritual blessings by God, as I've said, come through Jesus. In other words, without Jesus, no blessings. When I was a child growing up, we weren't wealthy by any stretch. We were probably lower middle class. But you know what? I never went to school without clothes. I never went to school hungry. I never froze to death or sweated to death in my house, my parents' house, actually. Golden rule, here with the gold rules. Um, I got where I needed to go. I played all the sports I wanted to play. My dad and mom supported me. If I needed something within reason... I didn't get a car when I was 16, but we won't talk about that again. Um, my granddaughter, my daughter did. But, um, but all these blessings came as a result of me being in my house with my parents, okay? Now, if I'd go down the street to, my, to, my, to, my, to the Larkins, and for instance, they used to live up the street for me, and I went up to Mr. Larkin and said, Mr. Larkin, I'd really like you to buy me this, this, and this, and I need some lunch money this week. He would have looked at me and said, go back to your dad, because I'm not a part of the Lark I wasn't a part of their family. I mean, we were close, but I wasn't in their family. And so when you think that you're like, I'm going to get blessings 
outside of God, you're not. Because God bestows blessings to those who belong to him through Christ Jesus. And now the second thing is what you see here is when you look at this, it says, does he tell you how many blessings you receive, how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? What does it mean to have every spiritual blessing? Well, what it means quite simply is since you belong to God, you have everything you need to grow spiritually. God doesn't just say, hey, when you're baptized, I'm going to give you a few blessings. I'm going to see how you handle it. You know, and then when you need some more, I'll give you more. No, we receive every spiritual blessing in him through, through Jesus. We don't have to ask for the blessings. I don't have to get on my knees and say, God, I got to have these blessings. They're there. They're there. I didn't have to beg my parents for food. Didn't have to beg them for lunch money. I didn't have to beg them. There are some things I did beg because it was out of reason. But I mean, the things that I needed, can I have a car, please? Um, but anyway, you know, I, I, they took care of me. I didn't have to beg them to, to, to pay the electric bill so we could have lights. See, they took care of me. The blessings spoken of here are not just physical or necessarily blessings from the Spirit, but rather they're spiritual blessings denoting the quality of them. I believe God blesses us sphere, uh, 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 materially. I do. Now, I think some people go crazy. You know, I've seen guys, I saw a group of, of these crazy TV preachers talking about how they had to fly in private jets, and I'm thinking, hey, how do I get in on that action? I'd love to take a, my, my grandson yesterday, they had a, a, a lunch for him for his graduation, so Rob, we'll fire up the jet and go see him and come back. Uh, that doesn't work. But anyway, um, one, one time I told you a long time ago about the 91 Mercury Grand Marquis that I know God blessed me with, and I was so happy to get it, but guess what? I don't drive it anymore. It finally got to where it was drinking oil, you know, like a thirsty person. It, was, it finally ran its course. It was a blessing, but it was momentary. The blessings that we receive from God are eternal. I won't be pushing it off to the side or taking it to the junkyard or taking the blessing and trying to sell it off to somebody who wants to rebuild the blessing. With those blessings you get from God, they're spiritual in nature. That means that they have a great quality. They're eternal. They're imperishable. And so a lot of times we sell ourselves short just focusing on God, give me this, God, give me that, God, give me this, God, give me that, when God has already given you everything that you need. And God will not withhold those blessings from you when you're obediently living for Christ. These blessings also don't refer to future. It's not like, God, one day, you know, at the end of the rainbow, I'm really hoping that this heaven thing works out. No, you receive those blessings now. And quite honestly, you need them now. You know why? Because you and I live in a fallen world. Bad things happen. Accidents happen. Disease happens. Evil happens. We need these blessings to get through the day. <laughs> some, of we, some of us need it to get through the hour. It's tough. But we have them now. And then the icing on the cake comes later. We don't have to wait for the return of the Lord to enjoy the blessings. God gives you all you need to foster a healthy, growing, fulfilling relationship with him. And I know there's Christians like, oh, you know, I'm, my relationship just isn't good, and my faith is boring, and nothing's happening. Um, I've, I've seen people that will come to church, they've done it here too, say, well, I'm just not getting fed. And it's funny because that hungry Christian never gets fed at any church they're a part of. I've had a couple of them tell me, well, you know, I just didn't feel the spirit anymore. And I thought, I wanted to say, you know, it seems like everywhere you go, the spirit dies. I don't know, just saying. But the fact of the matter is, your faith is going to do nothing for you. 
I'm here to tell you it's going to do nothing for you if you don't put into it. It's like if I owned a gym, it's going to do nothing for me until I go in there and use it. Just because I own a gym, gym or just because I own a gym, which I don't, doesn't mean I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. It's just not going to happen. You've got to do something. And your faith isn't just magically one day you're going to wake up, I'm super Christian, everything's great. We've got to put effort into it. And most people, what I find is a person who's constantly church hopping because they're never fed, they're not, they're not eating. They're being fed. They're coming in looking for something, that excitement and that fire and the, instead of coming in to bring something, coming in to put something into it. It's a big difference. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And you notice that in Christ in verse 4. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ according to the pleasures of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly beloved son. So the other thing we see is in him, we are found holy and blameless. Now this is a neat thing to think about. Before the foundation of the world, God decided that whoever believed in Jesus would have the privilege of being adopted into his family. Now, without getting super deep into the predestination issue, I know Calvinists look at this and say, see, there's predestination. God didn't look at the crowd and say, you know what? You're going to come to heaven. You're not. You are. You're not. You are. You are. You are. No, you guys aren't. It, that's not what he did. What was predestined was the plan by which you follow this plan, follow Jesus, now you will have salvation. It's not the individual, it's the plan. Those who follow Jesus of their free will, God said in the very beginning, here's the plan for bringing people to me. Because the fact of the matter is, if he did arbitrarily just pick people, well, then the scripture, there's a lot of scriptures that don't make sense. Like when he says, God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's a lie. Because if he already determined who's going to be saved and who's not, that's not the truth then. It can't be because God could have done something about it. If he wanted you, somebody could have picked you. But he picked the plan. In verse 5, you notice this also. How did he do it? He did it in love. He predestined those who accepted Jesus to be adopted through Jesus Christ to himself not because somebody forced him to but because he loves you he wants you to be with him we're not forced upon god he wants us to be with him he didn't make some last minute decision but before the foundation of the world he said here's the plan in christ and this is important we are found holy and blameless now why is this important because god is holy and blameless and he cannot have sinful man stand before him we need a way to be made perfect. And so through the blood of Jesus, you know what God sees you? When he sees you through Jesus, you know what he sees? Perfection. You aren't perfection, but that's what he sees. And then my life is about trying to get as close to that perfection as I can out of appreciation for what God, you know, we sing that song, what he's done, for, because of what he's done, I want to live for him. But we can't achieve that feat on our own. The whole Old Testament was basically about, you can't do it. Here's 10 things I'm asking if you can't do it. You're in trouble. 
And then you notice in the Old Testament, it's a lot of gloom and doom, man, judgment, all this bad stuff. And people say, well, see, the God of the Old Testament was judgmental. The God of the New Testament's love. Well, actually, it's the same God, different focus. Same subject matter talked about in the Old Testament when it comes to the New. It's different, isn't it? There's hope. Is there sin in the New Testament? Absolutely. But it's coupled with hope. Remember when COVID first struck and we were all struck and we're all going to die? We're all dying. Okay. Now, in fairness, except for the people that created it, won't go into that. <laughs> in fairness, we all thought that's a very distinct possibility. I was terrified to get it. I didn't want to get it because I really, at fifty some years old, really don't want to die because I want to see my great grandchildren and all this stuff. But then there came a point in time. There came a point in time where politically time they released a cure a vaccine and it was just like now i don't think anybody in here wants to get COVID. i had it a few months ago it it wasn't fun but it wasn't bad but i didn't freak out when i got it the first time when when i had basically no symptoms i was literally freaking out i'm thinking okay and i'd I'd hold my breath and see okay because they said if you can't hold your breath you know you you know and i I would i I was doing all these things because i kept thinking well this is so bad it's going to get me it never did and I didn't want to be mocking about it because you don't want to do that. But anyway, um, I don't want to get it, but I know if I do, I probably have a better chance of dying of the flu than I do of COVID because we have things now that can take care of us. The, the, the disease in the Old Testament and the New is sin. The cure came through Jesus, so there's hope. We're not lost in our sins. In Galatians 3.27, we're told, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then the Hebrew writer, speaking of the Old Testament sacrificial system, reminded us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So even in the Old Testament, that those sacrifices never took away people's sins. They kind of, like I say, kind of brushed them under the carpet for a later date until Jesus came. Because the saints of old are going to heaven through Jesus. They're not getting there by anything from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And when God sees you through that blood, he sees you perfect. Remember those little red squares? If you put on red glasses, you could read the message. And some people could see through it anyway. But those red, those red glasses made it very clear. And God looks at you through the blood of Jesus and he sees that. We're trying to get as close. And then, like I said, our life is about trying to be what God already sees us as. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. Here's that phrase, in him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of times to head up all things in Christ. What happened? I just lost myself. Yeah, to head up all things in Christ. the things in heaven, and the things on earth. So the next thing we see is in him, we receive redemption. I would venture to say if all of us in here were honest, or most all of us, maybe not every one of us, some of us or most of us have some unresolved guilt in our life over something that happened, or maybe many somethings, okay? The thing is, when you're riddled with guilt, it's hard to enjoy life because that guilt is always back here. You know, you're doing things, things seem to be going, and that guilt says, you don't deserve this. 
Look what you did. Look what you've done. That guilt is always working on you. Being dogged by guilt will make your life sad and miserable. Also, being enslaved to sin will make your life miserable and rough. Sin seems fun for a season. I would imagine a lot of things that we do, we pretty much know we shouldn't be doing it, but we we do it. Why? Well, it's fun. It's what I want to do. But the problem with that is there's always a price to pay. And when we decide to sell ourselves out to sin, we become slaves to sin. Matter of fact, the first time you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. But in Christ, all things change. It all changes. Because we're told here that in him, what do we have? Redemption in Jesus through his blood. Redemption means to be bought back from a, by a price, with a price. In him, sin is no longer your master. Jesus redeemed us from the sin and brought us into his family. During the, writing, during the time of this writing, there were roughly 60 million people enslaved in the Roman Empire. 60 million people. They were often bought and sold like pieces of furniture. And it wasn't necessarily slavery like we saw in the South. That was horrendous. There was some of that, but there were all different levels of, of slavery in that time. But here's the thing. A person could purchase a slave and set them free. And that's what Jesus did. That's called redemption. Now, technically, a slave could buy themselves out, but think about this for a moment. Your master owns you, so anything you brought in, he can take. And let's say it took 50 pieces of silver to, 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 to redeem you. You'd be counting them, and you get up, you're making a little extra money on the side somehow, and you get up to 45, and the master finds, oh, well, that's mine. And see, what people are doing today is they're trying to buy their own redemption. If I do enough good things, if I, if I believe in global and climate change and put all my life into that, or if I put all my life into this cause or that cause, by golly, I'm going to buy my own redemption. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. But it's possible through Jesus, because Jesus bought you with a price. He bought you with a price, so sin doesn't have to be your master. Too many think, people think they can buy it on their own. Paul reminds us in Romans 6, he says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart to the pattern of teaching which you were entrusted to, and having been freed from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Being freed from the bondage of sin is a reason to celebrate. If we had a friend, a family member who's a drug addict, they're addicted to heroin, okay? And some of you maybe have been around that. It's a horrible thing. I've been around addicts before. It's a horrible thing, and you just, please, 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 get away from that. Get, it's destroying you. And then one day they stop. How do you feel? Are you like, oh, well, they quit. Okay, that's good. No, you're celebrating. You are so happy because they beat the addiction, See, we can do that in Christ. How many lives have been burdened with guilt and shame? By the way, a lot of people turn to substances just because of that. How many of you in here are carrying junk from your past? Why are you doing it? Do you realize in Christ you don't have to do that anymore? You can dump it all at the door. You can leave it in the baptistry. How would you like to have all of your sins forgiven? For those of you in Christ, it's happened. How would you like to know that God loves you so much that he wants you to be forgiven, that he wants to forgive you? See, as humans, I firmly believe that for the most part, we give lip service to forgiveness. You know why? Particularly in a marriage. You know, you, you offend your husband, you offend your wife. Oh, I forgive you, honey. But they really don't. I have ammo cans at home. And what I do is I collect ammunition and I put them in the cans so when I need it, I got it. Okay. Well, what we do with forgiveness, oh, I forgive you, and you take that 223 and you put it back in the ammo can. 
Then the next time I forgive you, you take that 223 and you put it in the ammo can. You take that 9 mil, you put it in the ammo can. And then guess what happens? One day when I need it, I'm pulling that out and I'm going to shoot you with it figuratively. That's not forgiveness. See, God doesn't take your sins and put them in an ammo can that he can shoot you with later. We have no concept sometimes of what forgiveness is. When God forgives, it's forgotten. You can quit carrying it. And if you're a Christian, and, and me as a Christian, shame on all of us for carrying it. It's unnecessary. It's Satan messing with you. Why do you think he does that? Because it jacks up your life. It jacks up your faith. In Christ, you're forgiven. We have a message of hope. And we should be excited to share that message of hope amongst this dark, unforgiving world. They need it. We've got it. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to set our hope in Christ would be, would be uh, to the praise of his glory. And when you, heard, when you heard the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So our last observation is quite simply this, in him we're his. In him we belong to him. When you're in Christ, you belong to God. You don't belong to God if you're not in Christ. I mean, yeah, he created you, but you're not his because you have to decide you want to be his. You can't be forced to be his. This is one of the things you talk about sprinkling, ba baptizing babies, which you shouldn't use the same word. It's not, it's not that. Baby has no choice. You're making the decision for them. I can't decide for my kids that they're going to heaven. They had to make that decision. In Christ, we're admitted into the ranks of God's chosen people. We're his special possession. We get to heaven. We get heaven. He gets us. It's a good deal. Now, hang with me for just a second. There's a little technical nuance in the passage here that's interesting. Verse 11 explains from the beginning that God planned that those who were in Christ would be part of his inheritance. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, we see God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. So, but God said his plan all along was for those in Christ to be predestined. Remember, the plan's predestined, not the person. In verse 11, Paul says, we. He uses that word, we. He's speaking of Jewish Christians. He's saying, we Jewish Christians, we heard the message and God wanted us to put our hope in Jesus so we could have salvation. All the saints and everybody in the Old Testament didn't get salvation except through Jesus. They didn't get it from following the Old Testament sacrificial system. And then in verse 13, he says, Now you, speaking to the Gentile Christians, you heard the message and you've been saved by that message. And verse 12 explains that God's ultimate view was this. His ultimate end was that we put our hope in Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's very simple. The Jews heard the message on the day of Pentecost. The rest of us heard it later on. And when we believe in Christ, and by the way, the word believe, the phrase believing in Christ is more than just speaking it. Acts 2.38 explains that part of believing is, is repentance and being immersed into Christ. When that happens, you received his Holy Spirit. When you follow New Testament references, you do not receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit any other way. And what, God, what Paul tells us here is this is important because when God sees you, and he sees you have his Holy Spirit, guess what? That's the down payment that says you belong to him. We used to do earnest money and mortgages. I need to ask my daughter if they still do that. But basically, it was money that I put down that says I'm going to buy this house. Now, there were a few conditions which I could get my money back, but if I backed out of the deal for anything under what's under the contract, the owner got to keep my money. 
And so when you have the Holy Spirit in you, God says, you're mine. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to be excited about sharing this message with people, that when they accept it and follow it, they belong to God. What the world says about them doesn't matter. The bottom line is this. In him, we have everything. Without him, we have nothing. What will it forfeit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet he loses his soul? That's the ultimate question. In him, we have everything. This is why if we're going to impact our world, if we're going to be a church that makes an impact versus one that's just a country club, we have to put our focus on Jesus. He has to be the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God loves you so much that he's done all these things for you. You don't have to do it on your own. You know, all the man-made stuff out there, do this, do that, do this, do that, earn this, earn that, make the God happy, make the God unhappy. But the great thing about Jesus or about God is the fact that in him it's already been done. You know, we sing that song, what he's done. Yep, one of the things he's done is he's offered you eternal life. And if you need that this morning, we invite you to come forward this morning and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to confess him as your Lord, to repent of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters. You're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. Your sins are left in the water, and you're going to, you're going to be a new creation. If you need that, we offer you that this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian Church your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling and need prayer this morning, if you come forward, I'd be glad to lift you up in prayer. So at this time, let's stand together as we sing our song of decision. you 
When you think of the issue of impact, when we come around the table this morning to take the Lord's Supper, Jesus did one thing. You know, sometimes we say one thing can't make a big difference, but we really know that's not true. There's a lot of one things that have happened throughout history that have made big impacts on the world, big changes. But the greatest change that's ever come about was the fact that when Jesus went to that cross, and when he died on that cross, he didn't stay dead. He defeated death, and he rose on the third day. And, of course, when Jesus was meeting, this with, meeting with his disciples, he told them just before all this happened, he says, I want you to remember what I've done. And I want you to remember it by taking this cup and taking this loaf. It's going to represent his blood and represent his body. I want you to remember this. And what's really cool about it is sometimes we kind of remember things, you know, um, you know, Mother's Day is a little weird for me, uh, and everybody here, a lot of you have faced this already. My mom passed away, and I think about a, a lot of the things. You know, when in first service, Lee was using the, the word mother to spell in an acronym. For, it was an acronym for something. I would have added the word S to it, mothers, because the S would have stood for spankings. You know, I got many of those, probably not near enough. But all I have with my mom is my memories. I don't have future memories with her. I don't have things that are going to happen in the future with her. But with this, this wasn't just something we reflect on. Okay, it happened a couple thousand years ago. That's really sweet. Man, I'm so thankful. But Jesus says we're going to do this till when? We can have it with him in his father's house. So you're not just proclaiming something that you just remember and say, ah, that's a really nice memory. And I got a, a lot of fond memories. You know, they were kind of flooding me this morning. I was thinking about my mother. We have a flood of memories with Jesus, but we also had a flood of future with him too and a flood of hope. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come around the table this morning and not just remember the sacrifice, 
but know that it meant something and know that it's going to lead to present and future blessings and hope. Lord, as we take the cup and the loaf this morning, I ask that we look into our hearts just to see where are we with you because, Lord, you sold out totally for us, and I pray that we get closer and closer to that each day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. There are, there are no uh, youth activities tonight, Mother's Day. We don't do that. Uh, Young at Heart meets Monday. Our LOL group meets Tuesday at Jules's house. We have our adult and teen studies on Wednesday. Al Brandon's group meets on Thursday. We also, um, we're going to, I think, uh, where's, uh, there we are. Um, we're going to talk about walk, the walk for life. Francisco, I meant to turn this on. I'll get you at the mic. Hey, good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to uh, all the mothers out here. Enjoy your day. 
Hey, listen, uh, we've been talking about the uh, March for Life CareNet uh, is having a fundraiser uh, next Saturday. Registration is at 7. Uh, the walk is at 0800. For those of you who cannot make it, I will be, and I'm sure others in the church will be walking. Uh, if you want to, you can contact me. If you're wondering, well, how do I contact you? That's what we have a church directory for, right? My name, my email, my number is there, and feel free to use that. Also, if you contact me via email, I will be happy to send you the information if you want to walk and gain some sponsorship, because all that money stays here for uh, CareNet, okay? So we can all agree that it's important. So if you'd like to help out, please come join us in this life-affirming and God-honoring event. Thank you. So that comes up next Saturday. The Ladies Spa, they're going to have their first spam meeting there, see? Yes, yes, that's right. The men are... Hey, that's right. I don't see her either. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, they're going to, the, the lady spa is doing a spa plus, so we're pluses. At least it wasn't spa minus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, it could. That's true. On Saturday, June 10th, you and your family are invited to join us to a trip to Mount Lemon. And I hope we're going to that cookie place. That's good stuff. Um, we're going to meet at the parking lot at 845, depart at 9, and there's going to be flyers in the foyers in the foyer if you need more information. So that's going to be fun. Operation Christmas Child is accepting some donations. You'll see that in your bulletin. And Peach's Pantry, they are not taking donations right now because the school, for whatever reason, had to take them out of the space they have, and so they're feverishly looking for a place. I think they need a couple thousand square feet for what they do, so hopefully they'll be able to find that. Well, um, I think that's all the announcements we have. Uh, we went on our off-road adventure yesterday. It was a lot of fun. In July, we're going to do another one, but we're going to do uh, hot dogs and brats. So we're going to have people bring stuff, and we're going to stop somewhere along the trail and have some really good food. So um, right now, if you'll turn to the back of your bulletin, you, we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. We make sure you take a look at that. I know that uh, Ruth Lavette, we saw her the other day. She's doing a lot better. I wanted to thank people for their concerns. Ken Martin's at home now, so we'll see him back. We just will not let him near any of our ladders, and we will look forward to having him with us. We have, uh, uh, it's good to see Dan with us this morning. We have a lot of people that we're praying for. We have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins. Talk to Bobby Frank Friday, and uh, Kate is still hanging in there, so keep him in your prayers, and if you want to contact him, make sure you email him. Uh, we pray, we're praying for Peach's Pantry that they can find a new location. They do such a good work, and so we're hoping they can find something. And we're praying for Southern Mexico Mission. All right, at this time, let's stand together, and we'll have our closing prayer, and the band will lead us out. And we pray, ask that you take your prayer requests home and be praying for them this week. Father God, we're so blessed that we can be here today, and we thank you for that opportunity. And Father, I pray that as we go into the world this week, that with enthusiasm, with joy, and with love, we, we share the message of Jesus and we show the message of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.